0: Jesus used to quite often refer to himself as the Son of Man. And one day, um, he'd been mainly preaching to his own people at this stage, the Jews, but one day he decided to take his disciples deep into pagan territory. You see, because when he'd been preaching to his own folk, the Jews, that they hadn't been accepting him. Anyway, so it, it seemed that the more devout the Jew, the more deeply religious the person, or even the whole region for that matter, The more religious they were, the more they rejected him until, of course, finally in the religious capital, Jerusalem, Jesus was crucified. Being religious isn't necessarily a virtue. They just wouldn't believe. And a funny lot, they said, look, all you've got to do, it's real easy really, all you've got to do is show us a sign and we will believe. But the thing is, at this stage, I don't know what more they want. By this stage, he'd already fed the 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. He'd already walked on water. He'd already healed the sick. He'd already driven out demons. And then he starts backing it up again. And so it's not a one hit one, though, no. He feeds the 4,000 with a, just a picnic basket. And still they had the side to say, after all of these miracles that Jesus has done, just show us a sign and we'll believe you. Their barrier to belief was not a lack of signage. Their barrier to belief was not the need for more proof. And it's the same as the way it is today. There's a lot of people out in the world today who will say, well, if God will just give me a sign, if God will just give me some proof, then I'll believe. Don't you believe that for a minute. People today are exactly the same as they were in Jesus' day. It doesn't matter how many signs were shown, for some of us, there's a different barrier to belief. I reckon if their barrier to belief was a medical condition it would probably be diagnosed as a chronic case of petracardia a heart of stone. The barrier that stopped them from believing was a hardness of their heart and the wickedness of their person even though they were religious. So Jesus led his disciples away from this religious area and they walked some 40 odd kilometers and it wouldn't have been an easy walk, because in that 40k they went up 500 metres in elevation to a place called Caesarea Philippi, pagan territory. And it was here that Jesus asked his disciples this very important question. And was, Strangely enough, it's probably actually safer for them to answer the question there in pagan territory than what it would have been for them in God's country. He asked them this question. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And then he asked them an even more important question. He made it really personal for them. Well, what about you? You nail your colours to the wall. Who do you say the Son of Man is? And today I'm going to be asking us those same two questions. Um, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And who do you say the Son of Man is? now we're going to be asking the first question first so put the second question right out of your mind I'm asking you right now who do people out in the world say that Jesus is Yeah, Joe Blow down the street Farmer Blogs down the road who do they say that he is I want to hear a few answers a good man a, good man. a, swear, word. a swear word Yeah. what else God's God's no. yep some will say God's son yes a prophet, a prophet. yes a false prophet, yeah, yeah. Irrelevant. Sorry, irrelevant. irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. All those irrelevant. things. I'll just pop up one there. What about some of the other religions? Um, the Hindus. Does anyone know who the Hindus say that Jesus is? you'll pop it up there Um, some some Hindus believe every seems everybody wants to claim Jesus some Hindus believe that in Jesus's teenage years that aren't recorded in the bible was when he found his way east to India and and learned all about yoga and stuff and then came back to be a guru to the Jews okay so some folk believe that Um, of course to Hindus if you try and convert them um, they believe in a multitude of gods and so some of them will believe that Our God is a God the same as any other God and whatever. What about Muslims? Does anyone know what a Muslim believes about Jesus? A prophet? What else? Okay. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, they believe he works some miracles. Um, Yeah, they actually believe more about Jesus than some liberal Christians, you know. They actually believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. There's a lot of people who don't believe that these days. Um, They also believe that Jesus was sinless, but they don't believe that he's God, like we do, and they don't believe that he was killed. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Does anyone know what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Jesus? A prophet? Mm -hmm. Did you know they actually believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael? They believe that Jesus is the first of created beings and that's why we don't class Jehovah's Witnesses as a Christian denomination. So that's what some people say about Jesus. There's a whole multitude of things that people say about Jesus but the most important question for us here today is who do you say that Jesus is? Now I want you to think very carefully before you answer that because how you decide to answer what you believe in response to that question and who you say that Jesus is, and what you determine to do about what you believe, is by far the most critical verdict that you'll ever make about anything in all of your life. And I don't want you just to regurgitate what you think you should be answering to me. You know, like the Sunday school kids. Um, there once was a time when in Sunday school, old, old Lance Fox was teaching in Sunday school. Where are you, Lance? There he was. He was teaching. I heard this story. Lance was teaching in Sunday school and he asked a question. He said, what's big, grey, wrinkly and has a very long nose? And straight away, young Timmy Fox goes, oh, 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 I know, Mr Fox, I know. And he says, yes, Timmy, Jesus... And Lance says, no, no, that's usually the answer I'm looking for is Jesus, but no, it's not Jesus. Jesus isn't big, grand, wrinkly and and has a big nose. Can anybody else tell me the answer? Can they? And straight away, young Mark Horden goes, oh, oh, I know, I know. Yes, Mark, God. No, I know that usually the second answer we're looking for is God, but no, it's not God this time. It's actually an elephant. So we don't we don't want to know what you think the answer should be. Um, we want to know who do you actually believe that Jesus is, and who do you say that Jesus is? So, what's your answer? We're going to put up Simon Peter's answer there. What's your answer? Who do you say that Jesus is? I've stumped you. Saviour. He's your Saviour. Yeah? He's God. Do any of you agree with what Simon Peter said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does anyone here believe that? I'm starting to think that people don't really believe that here. Do you believe it? Does anybody other than Aaron believe this? All right, stick your hand up if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Righto. Now, that's what you believe in your heart. Who do you say that Jesus is? I want to hear you say it. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does anyone going to say that with me? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. I seem to be right in the middle of a blessing of God. Because if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that in itself is a supernatural blessing. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And some of you might say, well, that's because that's the way I was brought up. My parents always brought me up, believing in Jesus. And some of you might say, well, I was taught that in Sunday school. Some of you might say, well, I didn't used to believe, but I went along and I heard such and such a preacher and he convinced me about Jesus being the son of the living God. Some of you might say, well, I don't know how I know, I just know. But, sorry? Yeah, yeah. But some others might say about you, you've just been brainwashed. Or they might say, you're just gullible, you're one of those gullible people. Some people will believe anything. Don't you know that that's a superstition for those who are are weak-minded and stupid? So what is it? Is it knowledge or is it stupidity? And Debbie said... It's, it's an encounter with God. God has revealed himself. Jesus didn't say, congratulations, Peter, you've worked out what all these signs mean. No, this was not a revelation from flesh and blood. No man or woman taught Peter these things. Peter didn't possess a higher intellect such that he could work it out for himself. It was a revelation from God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It was a blessing. You know, one of the sad things that that we see happen, something which sometimes makes us wonder, have you ever seen two brothers or two sisters who have been brought up in the same family and one will become a believer and the other will just totally reject God? Or have you ever wondered why a thousand unbelievers can hear the same evangelist and ten people will have changed lives? and the rest not. It's not because they're the gullible ones. It's not because they're the ones who are smart enough to see the truth. It's a blessing from God. Believing and knowing in your heart that Jesus is the Christ is no human feat. It's a gift from God and it's a blessing from God. Do you agree with that? That's a blessing from God. Okay, now here comes... Something. One thing I've learnt about blessings is when God gives us a blessing, with that blessing comes responsibility. I don't know if you've ever considered that. But when God gives us a blessing, with that blessing comes a responsibility. So if God blesses you with a child, guess what? Responsibility. <laughs> All right. it, we, you then have the responsibility to bring up that child to feed them and so on, and bring them up in the ways of the Lord. When God blesses you with a home, you have a responsibility to invite in the traveller who has nowhere to stay on a cold winter's night. When God blesses you with a business, you have the responsibility to do the right thing by your employees. When God blesses you with finances, you have the responsibility to care for the poor. When God blesses you with health, you have the responsibility to care for those who are sick. When God blesses you with youth or vigour, you have the responsibility to care for those who are old and tired. When God gives a blessing, with it comes responsibilities. And guess what? When God gives you the ultimate blessing, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, with that comes an enormous responsibility. And sadly, this is a responsibility that many of us shirk. You and I have a huge responsibility to fulfil because we've been hugely blessed by God. Now, it's important for us to get this the right way round. We have the responsibility because God has blessed us with faith. God hasn't blessed us with faith because we've fulfilled the responsibility. You know the difference? Okay? Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah... For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. In the Greek it is Petros, which means the rock. And then Jesus says, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who here is glad they're not Peter? Peter, be given that responsibility. Right, Peter, here's the keys to heaven. <laughs> you get to decide what's bound and what's loosed, Peter. That's a huge responsibility that God put onto Peter's shoulders. You know what? I don't believe that that was only for Peter. You and I as believers, along with Peter, the believer, share that responsibility. Uh, This is an interesting passage which has been the subject of um, many arguments throughout church history. But there's basically three major views as to what, what this paragraph means. The first one you might be familiar with if you come from a Roman Catholic background um, where they say, okay, Peter's sort of promoted as, as like the, the head of, of the church there and that's where they get you know, some of the justification for saying, right, so Peter was the first pope and then we'll have a succession of popes after that because obviously we need somebody to have, still have the keys to heaven otherwise we're all doomed. Um, I, that's really stretching things. I mean, that's certainly taking it far beyond what God had said. If you know the Pearly Gates cartoons, you, you know the picture of, of St Peter standing at the Pearly Gates with his little clipboard and so on. That's where that idea comes from, okay? It's a huge stretch. The second view, I believe, is also a bit of a stretch. It's, it's a Protestant reaction against Roman Catholicism more than what I believe it's based in the Bible. And this view would say, and some of you have probably heard it, you are Peter, Petros meaning the rock, and on this rock, me, Jesus, I will build my church. Now that sounds like a very good and easy explanation that we could get from the English, but the problem is the original sentence sentence construction in the Greek doesn't really allow for that. It really very clearly makes Peter the rock in this situation and not Jesus. Um, The actual grammar makes that quite clear. So let's not react against unbiblical doctrine by becoming unbiblical ourselves. Let me give you the third explanation. I think you'll realise that this is the one that I go with because it'll be in yellow. Um, Peter is not just the man Peter, but the man who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses that faith. And as such, Peter is the prototype. Peter, the man of faith, is the first of many men and women of faith who will also follow after him. And this rock that Jesus is talking about is the man or the woman of faith who confesses the Christ. These are the ones who have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. By the way, these actually aren't keys to the kingdom of heaven. Um, but they are important Peter the man of faith is the rock that Christ builds his church and you as a man or a woman of faith given to you by God are rocks on which God builds his church now we've got to get clear in our minds what the church is um the church, we tend to think of the church as an institution and you know, we'll say there's an institution here, an institution there, an institution there and say these are the churches. But the church in the Greek ecclesia simply means gathering. Right? So the gathering of Christians. So on the rock of Christian faith, Christian, Christian um, believers, they are gathered together to form the church we are church here this morning because we're gathered believers the christian church the gathering of believers is not founded or built on a constitution i'm in the midst of trying to put together a bit of a constitution for bush disciples because we legally have to have one to exist in our society the same as this sports club has to have a constitution to exist but that constitution is not the basis on which christ builds his church the gathering of believers is not built on a constitution. It's not built around a building. It's not built around benefactors with big checkbooks. The true church of Jesus Christ is not founded on, bu- on, on business principles or ideals. It's not even built on around nice people. The church is built with believers. And I actually believe around confessing believers, ones who will actually say, that Jesus is their Christ. So get this, God did not bless you with faith so that you can have a nice private belief sitting in the comfort of your own home. God blessed you with belief, with faith and on the rock of men and women of faith he builds his church, he builds his gathered ones. You think you're not important? Well, you've got to get that idea right out of your head. God gave you faith and part of your responsibility because of that is to be the rock in the gathering of Christians. And Jesus tells us that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, cannot prevail against it. Folks, we're in a spiritual battle. Good versus evil, God versus Satan, heaven versus hell, angels versus demons. But when together in Christ, we have nothing to fear. The gates of hell do not prevail against the church, against the gathered ones of Jesus Christ. Satan has done everything that he can to try and destroy the church of Christ. If you think back to the early stages of Christianity where Christians were persecuted horrendously, they were chased to the ends of the earth. But you know what? That only served to spread the gospel even further and further. And everywhere they went, they took the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere they went, they took the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, as a man who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, carried the keys to the kingdom of heaven wherever he went. And as Peter shared the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, every now and then the key would fit and somebody would be unlocked from the, from the bonds that held them to sin. And they'd be released into heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The keys to the kingdom of heaven is carried by you, the believer, and they're carried by me, the believer. and whatever you or I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. every time that I'm too embarrassed to share my faith with another, every time I'm too embarrassed to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God well, I've just ensured that that person is bound for a little bit longer. Every time what I believe about Jesus is not what I say about Jesus, I've kept somebody bound up. Do you know what? Praise be to God, the reverse of that is true. Every time you, the believer, pluck up the courage to witness to the truth that you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, every time you do that is another chance for a soul to be loosed and to be released. That, my friends, is a huge responsibility and it's a responsibility that most of us have been shirking for years. When your Heavenly Father blesses you with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the responsibility to share that faith, the responsibility is to be an active disciple of Jesus Christ. As Bush Disciples gets up and running, my hope and my dream is that you and I together will become those active disciples of Christ. Bush Disciples is about encouraging the way of discipleship in the bush. And I scoured the pages of the New Testament for just the right passage about discipleship to kick off today. But, you know, as soon as I started searching the scriptures, almost instantly I realised I was starting from the wrong place. We've always got to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't begin with discipleship because discipleship does not make any sense unless we begin with Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus was just a man who died and was buried, well, that just wouldn't make any sense to be a disciple of a dead man. But the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the fact that he is God, the fact that he is the Son of God, the fact that he died and yet lives again, discipleship, the life of the disciple, the sacrifice of the disciple, the responsibilities of the disciple, all of a sudden they make a heap of sense. All of a sudden these things become an honour and a blessing. And because Jesus is the Christ, The rewards of faithful discipleship are out of this world. And because Jesus is the Christ, the gates of hell cannot prevail against gathered disciples. Next time I preach, I'm going to be taking those next eight verses of this same reading, verses 21 to 28. I'm not sure where that'll be yet. Um, We haven't planned any more services. Um, but without the foundation that we've laid today, those verses just don't make any sense. Until we start with Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, is the key. You've got those keys and that key on your keyring, hey? Yeah. On my set of keys here, there's some keys that I use all the time and there's other keys that I almost forget what they are until I really need it. Whereabouts on your key ring is the key to the kingdom of heaven? Is it one you use often? Is it one that every chance you've got you go, (coughs) oh, yeah. Well, I actually believe that Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Don't keep those keys to yourself. Who do you Jesus asked, Who do you say the Son of Man is? Not who do you believe? Who do you say and that's something that we Christians have often got to get around. We sort of think, Yep, I believe, that's all good, that's cool. Jesus wanted to know, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Take every opportunity to say it. Take every opportunity to unlock those who are bound and bring life where there is currently death. You've told me that Jesus is the Christ. God's word tells me that it is God who has revealed that to you. But God's word also tells me that with that blessing comes an enormous responsibility to be an active disciple of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for that ultimate blessing, that Jesus is indeed the Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the ability to believe. We know that it's not through our own strength, through our own cleverness that we believe, but it is a revelation from God. And Lord... I just pray for each person here, myself included, that we would be willing and active disciples of Christ, taking the name of Jesus out into the community, sharing his name in, in conversations and inviting others as we take these keys to unlock those who are bound and to introduce them to your blessing of faith in Jesus.